You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast featuring some of Indiana's most fascinating men and women whose impact has shaped our state, our communities, and us. Join us as we discuss their imprint on our history. Leaders and Legends is brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated, your local veteran business enterprise specializing in public relations, media relations, public outreach, crisis communications, and digital photography. My name is Robert Bain, Principal of Veteran Strategies, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Mayor Greg Ballard, and Communications Director for the Indiana Republican Party. I'm honored to be your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, the Crown Plaza Hotel and Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. We are here today with former chairman of their respective parties, Robin Winston and Mike McDaniel, longtime friends. They are here with us today to talk about getting along, getting things done, having a drink, having a smile, and perhaps the way things used to be. But we are also joined by Jim Shella former podcast guest uh, more than once, and the dean of the dean of Statehouse and Political Reporters. He is the guest host for today, and we're going to let him take it away and see if his interview skills have rusted since Indiana Week in Review. Good afternoon, Robert. Thank you for that introduction. Mike, Robin, great to see you. Good to see you. Um, when you Robert talked about um, folks from from opposite parties getting along. You know, I I did uh, uh, Indiana Week in Review on public broadcasting for 25 years, and both of you have have been panelists on that program many times. And 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 the one quote that I always shared with with folks who who don't really understand how the political world works is from somebody who said that with regard to Week in Review that the best show was in the parking lot afterward. Um, we found that no matter how much people did battle on the air uh they still got along they still loved to, to share experiences um it, robin when you talk to, to to democrats do they question how you feel about republicans oh my god yeah i mean you know they should just you should just put some bleachers up and have people on the set because if they could hold up a placard and tell you what you should have said and what you should have done then they would be. They could just be their own Cecil B. DeMille sitting there because they always call you. Well, you're sitting on the set. This is an age of beepers, Mike. They'd be beeping you, saying you should. You didn't do this. You weren't striding enough. You should have tore his face off. Meanwhile, they're sitting at home drinking a coffee, right? And they they're telling you what you should have said. So yes, I mean. There are those. Then, then you get the ones like the pitcher on the mound in Game Seven in the series, where everybody's out there telling them what to pitch. Well, that's kind of like being on Indiana Weekend Review or trying to do these shows. Because, well, here, make sure to say this and get this dig in, and make sure you do that. And why do you treat them well? And you shouldn't do this. And you should. And it's like if I listen, the long, the time they told me what I should say was longer than the daggone show. So, no, I mean people do that all the time. You're absolutely right. I I had a crazy idea that. You know, uh, that not everything that the Republicans said was always the best idea. Sometimes the Democrats had a good idea. And when they did, we ought to say so. And I th my theory was that people will be so surprised uh, that they'll give you style points for at least acknowledging the fact that somebody has a good idea or a better way to do something. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'd get criticized anytime I say, you know what, that makes sense. And I'd get five phone calls as soon as the show was off that night saying, are you crazy saying they had a good idea, you know, and that kind of stuff. And it just drove me crazy because that's just not not the way I am. But, you know, it's true. I mean, uh, and I think that's part of the reason Robin and I got along for as long as we did uh, and still do to this day because he was always a gentleman. And he was always willing to step up and say, you know what, they're right about that. Or I, I'd do the same when I had the chance. Uh, and it felt that way. But uh, – Boy, you're right. I, I can tell you one quick story. We all have a mutual friend in Lisa Kobe, who's a very ardent Republican. Uh, my former press secretary when I was Republican state chairman, and Lisa, very passionate about politics. 
And not uh, afraid to share her opinion. She would call me every Friday at about 10 o'clock, <laughs> like clockwork. Have you got the topics yet? Not hi, how are you? Not anything else. It's, <laughs> have you got the topics yet? Well, you might say on this one and you might in that. And, and finally, one day I said to Lisa, I said, Lisa, you know what? Next time I can't do the show. I'm going to suggest to Jim that he have you on there. Oh, no, God, I couldn't do that, you know. <laughs> people have no her. idea. I think that, I did call her once and got to know. People have no idea that when you're sitting there and have to interact and you don't know which way the conversation is going to go, it's completely different. Yeah. And you can always just sit there and throw out talking points, and we all work those in. We got to the point where we could. But it's not always easy to do that because Jim, being Jim, uh, was excellent at steering a conversation to get where he wanted to be, and uh, and I say that in, as a as a compliment because this guy was the best in the business for a long, long time. Absolutely, and, and so uh, you know it was always more difficult. But like Robin, I inevitably. But what's funny to me is when you'd get a call on Fridays. You know, we'd call around. If we got the topics, we'd call around, try to get some information before we went on the show. You'd and I was am- at State Party. You'd call me. And you'd say- be amazed at how much quicker our calls got returned on Friday than they did Monday through Thursday. <laughs> if I called the president pro tem or the speaker on Friday, I was called back within five minutes because they knew they were a topic on the show. Save all your business for Friday. <laughs> yeah, so. So anyway, it's always kind of funny, but what was even funnier to me was I'd get a call from Mitch Daniels on occasion when he was governor. And if he anticipated that something that happened that week was going to be on the show, he'd say, he'd call and say, well, if you you get a chance, you might work into the thing, you know. (laughs) And I said, wait a minute, I thought you didn't watch this show, this little show as you referred to it. He watched it every week. And if he didn't, his staff told him what was on every week. But he'd call and make recommendations, which always cracked me up. For a guy that didn't watch that little show, he knew what was going on every week. <laughs> I like the guys from D.C., though. Um, you know, so our office was at one North Capitol, right there on the corner. State Democratic yeah, State Party Democratic headquarters. Uh, office. And these dudes are in the Marriott, in a room using their cell phone to call me <laughs> to tell me what my talking points are. And I'm standing in my office, and I said, where are you guys? Well, we're at the Marriott. I said, look out your window. Come up the street. Bring it up here. Well, then when they bring you the talking points from the DGA, Democratic Governors Association, Robert, they're like four pages long. You yeah, know, they now don't, how they you don't get it. How you get four pages of talking points? Yeah. You know, and then I looked, and it was like, and this is what we're doing in Vermont. And it was like, whoa, <sighs> this isn't Vermont, boys. But they had just cut, paste, and used the same thing. Because, and I don't know, I was on the show maybe a dozen times. I mean, Mike, you were on hundreds of times uh, as times. a Republican, yeah. 21 years and a thousand shows. You can't, you can't, if you can remember two good hits per question, you're in good shape. Yeah, but even better is when you don't want to answer a question. <laughs> right. And so, and Robin's done this, and I know I did this. If question number four was one you just didn't want to talk about, guess what? I'd give the world's biggest filibuster answer yeah. On, yeah. on question three in hopes that I hear, I look over and see Shella going to the control room. <laughs> <laughs> Take number three out. You know, that's a goal. So. Yeah. We played the shot clock on a game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for, for the benefit of the listeners, we, we would supply the topics. We would never supply the questions or what direction right. we wanted the, the discussion to go. But there, there's, there's no percentage in having people on who aren't prepared to discuss subject sure. matter. Um, so, you know, it, uh, there's, there's an entertainment level to the program, but it, but it is news and it's all, and it's all off the cuff. And, but, and, Jim, when you were selecting the, the R's and the D's to be on the show, show did you did you want people who got along i wanted state chairman whenever possible state chairman or or former state chairman um i wanted well sure i mean um dynamics were important whether whether or not folks could could give and take i mean i because i and and i'm happy to tell you that i can off the top of my head i can think of a democratic state chairman who i had on who was terrible uh because there was no give and take and i had a republican state chairman on who was terrible because there was no give and take and and those people didn't get invited back even if i got invited to play golf with them at woodstock um (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know you played with Al Hubbard at Woodstock. 
um, it, it was important to have a, a lively yet meaningful discussion. Oh, and and there were people who couldn't get off the talking points, yeah. who, right. who refused to. And, right. and uh, that's, that's a disqualifier for me. Yeah. Did it? I remember being on with Ann Delaney, who has a good relationship with Mike McDaniel. As far as I know. Yeah, she was wrong for 21 straight years. <laughs> she was good for us for yeah. 21 straight years. Oh. And Rex Early has a good relationship, my understanding sure. is, with Ann Delaney. Didn't always. Correct. Correct. They didn't know each other. When they started doing the show, they didn't know each other. Um, and uh, But I can tell you that uh, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, Mike and Rex and Ann and I all had dinner together. And, yeah, and we're that, good friends. And that's my point is you see that – on the show, to Jim's point about the best part being in the parking lot, but there really is a dynamic of kind of the uh, um, uh, Earl and Sam or whatever the 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 coyote and the dog were. And remember the cartoon where they clocked in, beat the hell out of each other, yeah. then clocked out. Good night, right. Sam. Right. Good night. And so that's a real thing that people involved in politics understand. And it seems that people who aren't involved in politics maybe don't understand. Is that but, a fair but, statement? But, well, but how, how, let, let's let Robin help explain this because it's not, it's not um, uh, professional wrestling. It's not, it, it's not fake. No. It's, it, but, but there is an element where you have to, you have to take the party line and, and, and you have to sometimes be contrary. Well, yeah, and I was chairman during, we were doing mayors in 99 and governor in 2000. So you had a lot of pressure on you. We're trying to win Indianapolis for the first time, I think, in 30-some years, and we're trying to get a governor reelected. So we were, in, we were pretty fired up, but Mike was always straight down the middle of the fairway. There were other people in our party who wanted us to do, to do more and to be— I remember, listen, I remember this one— leader of our party or be a future leader of our party wanted me to go up to Muncie, Indiana to David McIntosh's door and knock on his door and, and challenge him to debates. And I said, first off, I used his name, Jim Shella. Jim Shella is not going to drive 60 miles to see me go up and knock at some dude's door. Secondly, you got a black guy knocking at this dude's door in Muncie on university Avenue. <laughs> All he's going to do is open the door and say, I'm not going to answer the door. And that's it. And so where's your big story? Well, you didn't do it. You don't have any guts. You don't have any, yeah. you know, you don't have the intensity. But it wasn't anything to compare anything to. They just wanted you to do things. And I said, that's ludicrous. I'm not going to do that. You and, can't do and that. And Robin, did you make the point? Because I've made the point before. It's like, we're not going to be in charge forever. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason, tell we're, <laughs> reason we're here today is because we did our job. We moved on, but we were fair, and we can see each other on opposite sides of the street and wave and say hello versus look the other way and, and keep going. Well, I know? think I think a good part of that is mutual respect for the job that you did. I mean, I understood what his role was. He understood what my role was. And so if you, as long as you did it fairly and not with a lot of animosity, uh, you know, you respected each other and got along. And I think the world of Robin Winston, for that very reason, always have. Now, I haven't always had that relationship with the the other team. Uh, when Joe Andrew was here, he and I did, didn't get along at all. He, I remember having a news conference where I called for fair and honest elections, and he called me a racist because I called for fair and honest elections. That did not go well with me, and he and I never really got along after that. So, you know, there's a line that you don't cross, and he did. And I've never, I always thought he was kind of a weasel, and I never really got along with him that well. Actually, actually, you picked up that term uh, with regard to him from a from one of his fellow Democrats, I do believe. Yes, is it? I, I should. <laughs> you want to give we credit need, here we, for we, the? Uh, we don't let me tell you, of all the years that we did Indiana Week in View, the twenty one and I did it. Only one time in twenty one years did Jim Shella stop in the middle of the show and said, "We got to do this over." I remember the and that's story. that's because Ian and I were both beating up on 
the same person so badly that Jim said, we can't do this. Well, what the heck? Let's tell the story. It was it was when Joe Andrew was running to be Democratic national chairman and and he held a rally at the state house. Yeah. um, For for national chairman. For national chairman. Yeah. It didn't seem to make a lot of sense on the surface. But but secondly, Jim Hester, who's uh, the news photographer I was teamed with for 23 years, who is an astute political observer. uh, When we walked away from that news conference, he said, "He said, what was different about that? I said, you tell me. He said, politicians always say us and we. And he said, I and me over and over and over again. And, and we showed that tape before the discussion you're referring to on Indiana Week in Review. And the problem wasn't that you guys were beating up on him. The problem was everybody was laughing. And I said, I said, stop. We cannot be on the air laughing at the next Democratic national chairman. I don't care what you think. <laughs> And he won. Did he not win? Wasn't yeah. He well, became... it wasn't even opposition. Yeah, it was. I mean, Gore Clinton, right? Or was well, it Gore? Gore wanted him to be the chair? It was. It was yeah, before Clinton. It was before Clinton left office. Yeah. But he was. He was put in place by Al Gore because right. of Gore's coming campaign. Yeah. Let me make a statement and, and have all three of you challenge me or agree with me. The real feuds in politics are within parties within politicians versus politicians from that party, more intense, more long-lasting than feuds between parties and between politicians of other parties. Is that a fair statement? There's a lot of bad blood left over from primary X or primary Y because it's within the family. Well, I've experienced that uh, clearly uh, in my political life, but... It used to be that you had those family fights, and then everybody got in lockstep to go win the general election because they knew how important it was. Those days are gone, and most of that has to do with the Internet. People are either right or wrong, and I'm not going to be for them. You know, if you're even with you're in the same party, if you disagree, you disagree forever. You don't get together and unite where we used to do that. And I think that's a major, major change in politics. Robin? I had Lake County, man. Come on. <laughs> Seriously. Now, here's what these dudes did to me. Every, every Friday, they had a meeting in Lake County. Who did they? They, well, I'll tell you, because it wasn't the same meeting. At 8 o'clock at the patio in Merrillville, that was the Greek guys, okay? So that's Panos, Manos, Kalinsis, and those dudes, all right? Wait a minute. At 8 o'clock, same time, in Wicker Park, they had a meeting. And that was the itches, that Stiglitz, you know, Yovanovich, that's all the, all the Slovaks, right? Now watch this. And at 8 o'clock in Gary, Rudy Clay had a meeting at the same time, and that's the brothers over in Miller Beach. Was that with the claymates? Uh, claymates weren't there. In fact, we had to open up a Chinese restaurant early to accommodate the meeting. So here's how they play me. It's like, are you going to go to that meeting? I said, well, which meeting am I going to go to? Well, you're going to go over and see Blondie. That's what they call Bob Pastrick. Mm-hmm. He's in Merrillville, right? So if I go Merrillville, if you know anything about Lake County, you can't get across Lake County in five minutes. So then I go over and I'll always be late for Wicker Park. Oh, so you're late for us. Stiglish would say, you're late for us. I'm like, oh, man. Then I go over and I'm Uncle Tom and, and Gary because I'm like, oh, so you went over there to White Boys. All right. So, so I had to play all three, Gumby, all three, right, to, to make everybody happy. So what did I, Stuart Adorn was going, I, I'd mix them up because they would never come together. And they still don't. They still don't. I mean, I get in an elevator in the state capitol. Prominent attorney here who was in the Biden administration gets in an elevator beside another guy. I said, hey, how you doing? Fine. Yeah. He speaks to me. He doesn't speak to the other guy because he's mad at him for a 1984 state convention decision on attorney general. And I'm like, are you serious? You guys don't speak? I don't speak to him. And just looks, bing, bing. The elevator goes up and that's it. So, yeah. They, and then don't even mention Marion County slating. So oh, yeah. I was just getting ready to mention Marion County Slating. <laughs> so those are those are enemies for life, right? Yeah. And they, you know, you're sitting there. Not honestly, Mike. Come on, let's tell the truth. We're trying to raise millions of dollars. We're trying to do our job, and somebody's mad that well, my cousin didn't get appointed to the Lawrence Township Advisory Board. 
And so because he didn't get appointed, and it, when they filled the vacancy, they put so-and-so's member of her church on there. And st- you're like, seriously? Really? Are you one of nine people? Seriously? So, yes, they, they stick around for a long time, Robert. You got you to remember, I, I got to be chairman during the Rex Early, Steve Goldsmith primary for governor. I was just, that exactly was where I was headed. And to say that the party was split would be an understatement. And talk, of course— but- Talk about that, Mike. I want and to hear well, that. Rex, I Rex was a personal friend. And uh, when I ran for chairman in a five-way race that I won on, like, the fifth ballot, uh, that I don't understand why it took five, because every member of state committee told me they voted for me on every ballot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, why it took so long, but I did. But anyway, uh, you know, if you think div- division within the party, I mean, they— they people chose up sides on that and did not get along for a while. And I think it cost really do think it helped cost Goldsmith the general election. But you think uh, if Goldsmith was unopposed, he would have beaten O'Bannon in 96? Could have. Yeah. I see. I was a, a personal friend of Rex and I wanted to run for chairman. And I went to Rex and said, look, first thing they're asking me is, will I be neutral in a primary? And I said, you got to understand that I got to play this down the middle because I can't get there and and not do what I said I would do. And he said, no, I get that. I get that. You got to do what you got to do. He didn't mean it, but he, <laughs> he, he, he said it anyway, which but, gave me permission. But, but he had been state chairman. He exactly. understood the role. You know, trying to follow Rex early like I did on Indiana Week in Review and then follow him. I followed Hubbard, but early had been there just before, so – it seemed like I spent my time following a legend and I'm one of the most colorful politicians in state history and still is a dear friend of this day, just turned 85 uh, recently. Well, and someone asked me once how, 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 who I modeled my PR style after, and I go, it's equal parts Bill Bloomquist, who's the dean of liberal arts or was at IPY, IQ of about 300, and I go, and Rex Early. Well, and, <laughs> and they go, well, how do you mesh the two? And I'm like, well, you got to be really smart and you got to be really sassy and mouthy all at the same time. And if you can mesh the two, you're in pretty good shape. Because- we we could all tell stories, real stories about Rexford Carlisle Early from Vincent's, Indiana. In fact, I've threatened to write the unauthorized biography, which would be a big seller, I think. But to give you an he's example, already, he's already written an autobiography. He 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 uh, always was good for a good quote, uh, as Jim will tell you. But we we're getting ready to go to the national convention in Cleveland last time, and uh, I said I'll drive you up there. You're going. I'm. I can't get around anymore. No, I'll I'll drive you. We'll get you on and off buses. We'll do all that. You got to go. Well, he became the state Trump chairman. He called mm-hmm. and said he recommended me, and I said, you know, can't do it. And he said, so he ended up doing it. So anyway, I get a call from some young lady from ABC National News about two weeks out from the convention. She said, and this is the question she asked me, really. I'm serious. This is what she asked me. She said, would having Mike Pence on the ticket uh, with Donald Trump help in Indiana? <laughs> and, of course, I politely said, yes, we think that would be a major benefit to the party. And, you know, blah, 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 I'll give her a lot. Then she said at the end of the interview, she said, is there anybody else I should talk to? I said, you need to talk to the state Trump chairman. <laughs> so 20 minutes later, I swear the phone rang. She's on the phone. She's laughing hysterically. She said, I want to thank you for giving me that lead. <laughs> he said, he gave me some very interesting quotes. I said, like what? She said, I asked him the same question I asked you about would having my pence on the ticket be helping Indiana. He said, well, is a 20-pound robin fat? <laughs> <laughs> Typical Rex Early. But let me tell you one more, and I'll get off this, because I know you want to move on. We're at the convention to highlight the tension between Goldsmith and Early. We're at the convention in Minneapolis. And the night after they put Sarah Palin on the ticket, some gal from National Public Radio came up and put a microphone in Rex's face and said, now that you have your ticket together— what are you guys going to do? And he says, well, we're going to get drunk and chase broads. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we all standing around here started looking at each other like, you got to be kidding me. And she said, may I ask you, she kind of laughed. She said, may I ask you who you are and where you're from? 
He said, yeah, I'm Steve Goldsmith from Minneapolis, Indiana. <laughs> Didn't miss a beat. Let me promo. Let me promo my podcast. For, <laughs> oh, here we go. You probably have you coming this on may the show. This may be your last one. This may be your last one. My for the Al Haig, yeah. right? You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, the Crown Plaza Hotel and Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. On the podcast, we have Mike McDaniel, former chairman of the Indiana Republican Party, Robin Winston, former chairman of the Indiana Democratic Party, and Jim Shella former chairman of Indiana Week in Review. Jim. Let me well, first I, of all, I, let I, me I, apologize right now to the Girl Scouts for destroying the story. <laughs> I was gonna say, there you go. Why do you think they're not here? <laughs> but, I just think I gotta share one story since we're talking about about Rex and his quotes and, and Indiana Week in Review and, and and whether folks get along or not. The, the the first Indiana Week in Review show that I did, Rex was the Republican and, and Ann Delaney was the Democrat, and they did not know one another. And uh, um, Ann showed up wearing a leather skirt, and wow. and and I, we were live on the radio at this point, and and Rex waited until just before we went on the air and looked at Ann and said, "Do you know why men like women in leather skirts?" And she said, "No, why?" And he said, "Because it makes them smell like a new car." <laughs> And at that point, I got to act serious and talk on TV. <laughs> what did she say? What did she say? <laughs> there was no response. There was no response. Wow. I asked a question earlier about parties getting along and, and chairman and, and that sort of thing. And this is a question we asked you, Jim, I think when we did our podcast. It was either our second or third podcast. I think it was you and Bill Benner and, and um, uh, Mayor Ballard were like our first three. But how did you get along? So you're really good friends with Mike McDaniel and you're really good friends with Robin Winston and, and these other politicos. And you've got to go ask them tough questions that you know that they just either don't want to answer or the topic is uncomfortable or unfavorable to them politically. How did you handle that as a professional? Because I remember being interviewed by you during RIFRA and you didn't pull any punches, but you said, look, man, you're in a bad spot, but I got to ask these questions. That's what I'm there for. That's what I'm there for, and they know that's what I'm there for. Um, I, 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 in, in fact, um, you know, people, people have asked me, how do you, how do you ask tough questions of, of people who are your friends? I've always felt that, that if they're my friends, they understand, and I can ask them tougher questions than I can ask somebody else. Well, let's talk about media relations for a second. I mean, I'm sure you went through the same thing. I always got along with them because my theory was that if you were accessible— and you're always straight up, more times than not, they'll give you the benefit of the doubt because you're not trying to hide something or you're trying to do whatever. If, if I thought we our party had messed up, I'd say it. i said we messed up. It goes back to my theory of trying to acknowledge things when they happen. But because of that, I was treated very well by the media over the many years I was involved in this stuff. And I think that had something to do with it. accessibility. They knew they could call me at... 11 or 12 at night, which they did on occasion when something broke, and then trying to be straight up with them, trying to give them a good quote. Yeah, be honest with them. I mean, like, the, so let's see, in 99, Joe had become national chair. So Joe we Andrew. have a Joe Andrews. So we have a free, free for all for state chair. Um, uh, Pete Manos, uh, Kip uh, Two, and uh, Shaw Friedman all have been telling me they were going to be the chair. At that point, I'm political director or something. So the governor coming, then Governor O'Bannon called me and said, I want you to come up and meet with us at, at our house. And I leave home and I tell my wife, I'm going to go up. I'm not going to be chair. I'm not, bah, 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 right. I go up. I sit down. Judy O'Bannon offers me a diet right cola. I didn't even know they made those things. But anyways, like, sure. And you drink it. You're like, oh, yeah, yes, ma'am. I appreciate it. Um, and you keep moving to the side. But anyways, you're sitting there, and, and they got the fireplace going and all this stuff. And I told him that, you know, they asked me to do it, and I said I'd do it. So then I go home, right? But what he said to me was, uh, make sure you call Mary Beth Schneider, who was a reporter, because these guys will get it quick. They'll break it quick, and she'll have to wait another day 
and explain to her editor. These guys meaning TV. TV mm-hmm. and radio. So we did that so she could she could get her story in. But that's because he was a newspaper guy. Got to remember, this guy right. had the you know had the court in newspaper. Mm-hmm. So we had the big stamp, at least on my forehead, that you have to be honest with the media at all times because the guy you're working for came from newspaper background. Plus, you know, come on, if you lie to these guys, they're gonna the word's gonna get around. You lie. Well, to I do them. it once. Yeah, you do it yeah, once right. and you're toast, and they don't want to bother with you. Now, there's some people that have been jerks, I think, that have come our way, but usually they're from out of state. I mean, usually they're from national feeds or, or things like that, and they don't really want to give you the time of day. They're just obligatorily moving on. And I'm always amazed you know, at how many politicians are scared of the media. Yeah. I think it's I always, more so the said, case, Mike, on our side as Republicans because yes, the media is all this, liberal. There's this general feeling that they're all out to get the Republicans, which is, you know, which I think is true at the national level, but I've never had that happen at the state level. I agree with that. Not even once. Absolutely. And uh, it's it's always been crazy, but I always, for candidates, I always say, look, you know, if if you're scared of a dog— a dog's going to nip at you even more. If you're not scared of a dog, the dog's not going to nip at you. Same thing with media. You can't be scared of them. Just understand what their job is and deal with it and do it with a smile on your face and, again, be accessible and, and you'll be fine. But those, I remember but when there I were worked. a lot more of them that or, were absolutely it, scared of them. But if, if right. you're a politician, you can talk to a reporter and give him your story or your side of the story, or you can let him go find it someplace else. That's exactly That's exactly right. right. And I remember when I worked for Murray Clark when he was chairman and I was comms director, the, one of the very, and I didn't know him very well when we first started. I knew him a little bit. He says, Robert, we don't deny the obvious. Whatever the obvious is, whether it's for us or against, yeah. for us or against us, we don't deny the obvious. I never. That's one of the first things he said to me. I never forgot it because there are some times where you just got to shrug your shoulders and go, "We blew it," or there's some times where you've got to go, "You know, look, you are asking me questions that I can't answer. I know the answer, and I can't tell you." And a reporter will be like, "Okay, I get it." I'm like, I just can't tell you. Has that been your experience, Jim? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I agree with you completely. Although I think at the moment that there's a a, a changing dynamic because Donald Trump's theory is deny the obvious and and attack the messenger. And and I think there's a growing number of politicians who are looking at his model and thinking that it works for them. Yeah. Yeah, you see that all the time. You see people challenging the media, guys refusing to answer questions, walking off the stage, doing their best – Cam Newton after the Super Bowl impersonation. I mean, don't want to talk to anybody and and wanting to walk off the stage. One thing that I always try to do with our local media, if we had a presidential visit or a vice presidential visit, we tried we tried to make sure they were out there beyond the rope line in position with their cameras early because here come the boys in the band off the plane and they all think they're important and they'll position themselves right in front of you. So we always made sure we took care of that. You got to take and, care of your local media. Well, first. you have to. And then I've seen interviews. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but, you know, you have interviews. And this one guy was with was with a presidential was with a president and he kept kicking the chair saying your time's up to people. You don't do that to to people when they're trying to get people on camera. I mean, you just you don't do that kind of thing to people. Is there. Let me ask you, Mike, and I'll ask all three of you. Mike, is there someone on the other side, a Democrat, whose political or or messaging skills you've admired above all others? Wow, that's a tough question. I've had my share of uh, uh, Democrats that I had a lot of respect for and really liked that, that, uh, you know, of course, I'm old school. So I immediately think of people like Larry Conrad uh, and some others who were outstanding at messaging and uh actually in a lot of ways i thought frank o'bannon was good at messaging i really did and uh because it was uh it was simple and to the point and was his theory maybe this goes back i hadn't thought about this but it may go back to what robert said about you know being a newspaper background and trying to get the message so it'll be received properly in a way that a lot more people understand and so he simplified the message what drives me nuts is when our people complicate the messages and i was always taught in in campaign school when i went to the republican national committee campaign school you don't tell them just what you're going to do you have to tell them what the payoff is for doing that if i'm going to go out and do this how's that going to affect your daily life and we are terrible at 
bringing the payoff line into that and telling the public we're gonna we're gonna do this we're gonna raise taxes on gasoline and then we're gonna say well yeah we need to have better roads but how's it gonna affect so and so in such and such county then people go well oh I get that you know but we we've a lot of times failed to do that so I thought Obama was good at at that kind of messaging of course like I said Larry Conrad was outstanding I thought but uh, Jim. Those are two of my favorites. Well, Evan Bayh stands out in my memory, um, not necessarily because of the message, but because of the delivery. He would decide what his message was, and he that would be the answer to every question you asked. Um, you could you could ask him four different ways trying to trying to get him to tell you something more than what he thought that day's message was, and it wouldn't change. Um, and you thought that was a good thing. Um, he served two terms as governor, I'll say that. Yeah. And two U.S. Senate. Are you trying to say that had something to do with what he did while he was there? Well, um, I think that— that Because uh, his strategy was if you don't do anything, you don't make anybody mad. I was just going to say he was very cautious. He was Seriously. very cautious. Yeah, and and uh, he, it, it, he was— uh, you know, a Democrat governor in a Republican state, and he was very protective. And and uh, um, I think it served him well. Now, I you know, I wouldn't tell somebody else to do that. Robin? It'd be Republican. Mitch it would be Mitch Daniels. I mean, this guy, you know, one of the most intelligent people probably we have ever had in government ever. Right. Was able to slide his S's, drop his G's, and seem like a guy that was at the bait and tackle shop in Hopstad, Indiana. I mean, he just flowed very evenly, crafted the motorcycle image. The guy's brilliant. I mean, the man is brilliant. He did all those things in government. He did, I mean, I remember watching when they were doing the um, the RV thing. He was in some little small store and there were some Louis L'Amour books. And he looked at him and, and the Princeton almost came out in him because he was going to give a quick dissertation on the books. But then he slid the S's and the G's and said, oh, those sound like good books. I mean, so all of a sudden he went back to that. But he could have probably told you a whole thing about the writer, but it, but he didn't do that. So I would say of the people that I've seen on their side, it would be it would be Mitch Daniels. He he did everything possible to be strong both times, running. He did an okay job as governor. But as far as messaging and staying disciplined on messaging, it was him, and it permeated. Look at his lieutenants. Holcomb was one of his lieutenants, and look where he is. I mean, they have, you know, they permeated within government now, and a lot of that is attributable to Mitch Daniels, I'd say. We, the thing Mitch Daniels did, too, though, was that he didn't have a canned message. He, I mean, I'm, there was messaging being done, as you just said, with, with the books, but, but he did, he, and he answered all the questions. I mean, he would, he would hold these news conferences, especially during the General Assembly, where he would answer every question that came in for 70 minutes. And, and uh, you know, the, the message that came through was that he was in control and he knew what was going on and he had an answer for every, every possible problem. Um, I've always, I've said this in our podcast that we did with governor Holcomb because governor Holcomb ran uh, Mitch Daniels reelect in 2008, uh, which, you know, seems foreordained at the moment, but as someone who was comms director for the Republican party in 2006, where we got whipped, you never would have thought that Daniels would have won like he won in 2008. Mike, you've known Mitch Daniels for 50 years? 1974. So almost 50 years? More than 50 years, almost 50 years. My contention is Daniels winning Marion County in his gubernatorial reelect in 2008 by about 14,000 votes when Barack Obama carried the county in his initial run by about 120,000 votes is the greatest micro-political achievement in the last generation. I would agree with that. I, I, of course, I believe Mitch is the best governor we've had in my lifetime. Uh, most, uh, he, and for the better part of a decade, when you think about it, because the two years before he was elected, he was already basically dictating the agenda, even in this campaign. And he kept doing that the entire time he was in office for two terms. And I've never seen anybody with the ability to do that. And because he was so incredibly smart and so good at what he did, there were all, a couple of clinkers in there, which I still tease him about. Uh, I had Township government? To, 
I got the chance to to roast him not too long ago in front of the Legal Aid Society, and I said, I asked a question on the front. I said, how many of you here tonight, let me see a show of hands, came here because of the Commerce Connector? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in the room thought that was funny, but Mitch. <laughs> but uh, they had a few, but I'm telling you, the guy is brilliant, and you look at what he's done now as president of Purdue. On top of it, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. To Leadership me. matters. He, I can remember one time, of course, I'm still mad at him for not running for president. We could be in the middle of a second term, Daniel's term. But he himself said he thought How much lose. different, yes, he did say that. How much different would the political discourse be today? Yeah. Fair point. Yes. In the middle of a second, Daniel's term. I let mean, me, let me ask a question, and, and uh, actually Jim was a part of one of these podcasts in, the, in 2019. We've lost two giants, Indiana politics, uh, Senator Birch Bayh and Senator Richard Luger. Uh, you, I would assume that you had relationships, uh, good relationships with them for a long, long time. Robin, what was your relationship like with, with either one or both? Well, it was um, Luger was different. Um, I was in college at Louisville, aspiring future governor, right? So I'm in college at Louisville getting ready to run for student council vice president, baby. So I wrote every person running for the United States Senate and asked them to send me their brochures. Which year is this? This is 76. I get a brochure from Dick Luger. That's it was the, cool. That's year he won. Okay, yeah. It was, it was tri- I still have it because I showed it to Lou Gehrig. And he said they were in Marion. I think Daniels wrote the text and, and Gehrig took the photo. And they sent that to me as a student. Here's some bumper stickers. I'm in Louisville. What is he going to do? So... I held on to that and showed it to the senator years later. And he was he remembered the piece. It was nice. It was blue and gold, I think, Mike. Yes, it was. It was blue and gold. Nice. had Luger across the front, and it closed like that. And you opened it up, and all of his text was inside. So I did that. For Birch Bay, I'm from western Pennsylvania. So, and that's coal mining region. Without Birch Bay and Jennings Randolph and Bob Bird and all those people, there is no black lung to benefit coal miners. And I and I and I met with the senator and talked to him about that. And the stories that he told me about being in the Senate are just unbelievable. I mean, so yeah, I had a chance to talk with him, looking him straight in the face, thanking him for black lung legislation, for protecting coal miners, for those things. Those were historic things that these guys did. I mean, the the nuclear proliferation things that Luger did, taking care of the coal mining industry, taking care of widows, Social Security, Title Nine. I just spoke about it the other night at Henry County's JJ. I asked all the student athletes to stand up, all the people that had been athletes. I went to Courtney Cox's um, funeral this past weekend, and I just looked around and I thought, if there's no Title Nine, there's probably not all this effort in women's basketball. So. Those are things that are historic, and I hope that we can have leaders in the future that give us that kind of— Two constitutional amendments? Yep. Yeah. Would have been a third if ERA had passed. Yeah. Mike, your thoughts? I only met, I only met uh, Senator By a couple times, but I always admired the fact that he took the leadership role he did, especially on the constitutional questions and especially on the presidency, and uh, thought that was historic in a big way. And Luger, you're talking to the 1974 Marion County Youth for Luger coordinator. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was the best job in the world. And then we lost in 74, but he came back in 76. So I've been involved with Senator Luger one way or another since 74. And, uh, and just, Mark Miles on our podcast with him said that was his first political job was well, 74. I took Mark Miles on his first advance trip and— he couldn't find his rear end with both hands. <laughs> and uh, and I've got this great picture when he worked in Luger's office. There was a meeting on the west side, and Luger always had props and was showing people on a chart. Well, it's windy that day, and they couldn't keep the chart on the tripod. So they had Miles standing behind it, holding up. It on the tripod, and he had hair down to his shoulders, and young guy, young political, very smart guy, very bright guy. And uh, so the 
Mayor's photographer took the picture from the side. So you got this great shot of Luger on the other side pointing very seriously, talking about the issue involved in Mark on the back with his head hanging down, <laughs> holding on to this thing. And so when he became in the Hallman family enterprises, I sent that picture to him and said, boy, you've come a long way from, <laughs> from propping up Dick Luger's material to this. And and uh, one of the brightest guys ever, but I really did take him on his first advance trip and, and gave the powers to be in a Luger campaign Mark gave Mark all the credit for what he did when we left her. So oh, thank you. I can't believe you. And I guess we should square the circle by saying that in 74, in six years later in 1980, Mark Miles ran Dan Quayle's campaign yeah. to beat Birch by. Yeah. Hmm. We've did, had some, we had some political experiences together. Mark and I did, but back to Luger, I mean, I, clearly one of the great, uh, one of the great men that's ever been involved in Indiana politics and Indiana government and the United States politics and government. I uh, was disappointed that his presidential campaign didn't catch on. Of course, the day announced mm -hmm. was the day of the Oklahoma City bombing, mm -hmm. which kind of took him off the front page of the papers, uh, to say the least. And then uh, and it really didn't catch on. But when you look back on the things he was talking about. Terrorism. In that time, people went, nobody's going to have a suitcase nuclear bomb or nobody's going to do that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? You know, we're talking about that stuff every day, and that's why you have people going through all the checks you do on airplanes and everything else. I mean, he was so far ahead of his time. So when he got announced that he was going to get out of the race, I went as chairman to Washington to stand next to him because everybody's there when you get in. Right. Hardly anybody is when you get out. So I can remember going out there, and Marty, his chief of staff, said, man, I'm so glad you came here. And he put me right next to him. And I'll never forget that day because the press said, uh, why are you getting out? And, and Luger said, and I'll never forget this, he said, well, obviously, most people learn think that I learned to keep my charisma in check. Yeah. <laughs> of course, the press corps just laughed a little and all I could think of was, where was that during the campaign? <laughs> well, I was there. He did. He made that announcement in the Agriculture Committee room, and it was yeah. full, it was full of people. Yeah. yeah, Jim. Let me ask you, as a neutral observer, one of the things that we do on the Leaders and Legends podcast is bring people together who who are friends who may not agree on every issue and talk about shared experiences and their friendship. We did it with uh, Jim Kendall and Ed Tracy, who've been friends for over more than fifty years. Uh, John Mutz and former Senator. Uh, Lieutenant Governor John Mutz, former state Senator Louis Mayhern, who started working together, I think, in the 70s is what they mentioned. Maybe the early 80s. No, it had to be the maybe 70s, early 80s. So this stretches back. We've got a couple more coming up in the same vein as what we're doing here with Robin Winston and Mike McDaniel. As kind of a neutral observer of politics, how much stock do you put into the assertion, it's just not like it used to be? It's different. It's different. I think uh, anybody who who uh, works at the state house, who's been there for a few decades, um, remembers the time when the Indianapolis Press Club was in business across the street from the state house, and the, the press club. Um, the name's kind of a misnomer. Uh, it, it was really a state house club. It was, you know, the media got a, got a break on on membership dues, but but it was a place where Republicans and Democrats and lobbyists all came and gathered and and all got along. Um, it, it, and there there was always a rule that whatever happened at the press club was off the record. And, and I can tell you, I had some some meaningful conversations there, and I'd call somebody back the next day and say, "Can we go on the record now?" Um, <laughs> but it, but there, it's not just that the press club's not there anymore. In fact, the press club's may, it may be that the press club's not there because the culture has changed. Um, that people don't hang out together. <clears throat> excuse me, the way they used to. Um, people don't get along the way they used to. Um, they still do get along, um, but you know, back to where we started here. Uh, if if you're a Republican and you reach across the aisle and work with a Democrat, um, sometimes you, uh, you there's a price to pay with your own people. I mean, people don't people don't and vice versa. Yeah, mm -hmm. people don't prize bipartisan cooperation the way they used to. Robin, do you remember a time where you reached out to Mike and said, "Hey, I need your help." And Mike, do you remember a time where you specifically reached out to Robin and say, look, I need your help 
let's talk about something before it gets too heated or gets too out of hand? I remember whenever they made the remark about Mike, because I had to take the hit on the the racist remark, because I'm of course the resident, you know, dark invader at that point. So I I had to I had to respond, and you know, first off, I told the guy that said that 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 was wrong. Uh, remember now, this is this is I'm following this yeah. person, right? So um, I called Mike up. I even wrote him a note and said, I don't believe it. That's the way that's never been in your personality. We don't need to flame that kind of keep that kind of flame going. So I would say not necessarily reach out for his help, but just to say, I don't agree with it and then vouch for it and then speak every chance I could immediately after that, that I knew they weren't going to do that. Um, it, it, you get to a very dangerous thing, Robert. You start talking about race in politics because it can become very combustible. So I wanted to quelch that immediately. Um, the one thing that I, and I used it again this weekend, Mike, I'm, I stole it from you. You told me in your family you didn't know that there were not two words before Democrat until you were 20-some years old. <laughs> well, I'd say all the time, I didn't know that there were two words yeah. before Republican until I, and people love it. So I remember that. It, it goes well in the speech. It, it does very well. My grandfather was the original Archie Bunker conservative. And he made And I'm literally, he, I was at Ball State before I found out the word Democrat didn't always have two other words in front of it. <laughs> so I stole that from you. I, you and I'd, I'd say that in my Lincoln Day speeches and people, yeah. <laughs> that's usually a red meat crowd anyway you know they want red meat they don't want to talk about what the issues are the day. and then he and he said to me another thing that i'll i'll i don't know i don't call him up and say it but he said always give them all the good government that they deserve <laughs> so i have learned to give people along the way well, all the good government. i just want to say right here right now i did appreciate the fact that robin Called me, wrote the note that he wrote because that really hit, hurt me to the bone that somebody would say that about me. Because if there, I may be a lot of things to a lot of people, but that wasn't one of them. And it really hurt me when, when uh, the weasel did that. And uh, I've never liked him since. And now uh, I'll probably stay that way for a good long time. But one of the things, go ahead, go ahead, Mike. Now, one of the things I think Rob and I, before we hang it up here, is how the political parties have changed. When I grew up, I grew up in the Marion County Republican Organization, which was one of the best in the country at the time. Under Bulin. And under Bulin and Sweezy and on and on. And But there was such regimentation in it. I mean, you had to start as either a vice chairman, vice precinct commitment, or a precinct commitment and work your way up in things. And the organization was what the candidates went to to help them get elected. And ever since the Watergate scandal in 1974, candidates start raising their own money instead of the parties being the uh, vessel for the fundraising. And so they became more and more independent. And that has grown through the years. And now a lot of people think a good campaign is just raising enough money, buying enough commercials. Where in our day, it used to be having precinct people, all volunteers, which was hard to recruit motivate, train, do all that stuff. You think back on what those organizations were and what it is today because campaigns have gotten away from using the organization and how parties have changed so much. Now it's just a matter of raising millions of dollars and putting hiring enough young people in the field to go out and do it and run enough commercials, and that's it. And so parties have morphed. So I was part of that change. You know, my philosophy when I was there with 92 counties, we I found out very quickly that we had about a third of the counties that did things very well, a third of them that did one or two things okay, and then a third of them that didn't do anything at all. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah, I mean, right. because yeah, right. remember, these are all volunteer organizations. Right. And so my goal as chairman was to get everybody to move up to the next rung. Those that don't do anything, if I get them to do one thing better, we're ahead of the game. Those that do a few things well, if I can get them to do everything well, then we're way ahead of the game. So that was kind of my philosophy in this thing. Today, you know, I mean, they don't count on the organization, the the county by county structure. The county chairman still has some stroke with state elected officials and so on and so on. But as far as being the apparatus for running and winning campaigns, it doesn't exist anymore. And candidates don't do that as much anymore either, Robert. I mean, I was with Franco Bannon. We were in Petersburg, I think, at Pike County. And uh, we had to go to three different— Town of Gil Hodges. 
Oh, okay. We had to go to three different factions in Pike County to assuage all their concerns. But he did it. I mean, we went to this one lady's house and, you know, screen door, you sat in the living room and you had to seek her blessing because she controlled the eastern part of the county. And she let us know that when people drive by her house and see your yard sign, whole county knows what to do. Okay. I was like, wow. Wow. And they were serious. And they, and she was dead serious. So, you know, but he went around to see them. Here's Here he is, incumbent governor. I'm not talking about candidate for governor. I'm talking about an incumbent governor. You know, state trooper car pulls up and all that. I mean, it was a big deal, but you, you have to do that. I went to Jennings County, gave him a fax machine. It was like... <laughs> Fire to the natives. But, you know, the bottom line is that we gave them. say, did they have a phone line? They, oh, yeah. yeah. We've got, anyways, you know, you so so it has changed. But I think a lot of it, though, Mike, is related to the elected officials, too, that, that are there. I've been around some folks that may not motivate people, let's just say that, to go out and work, okay, well, for, the, for their campaigns. Very true. You know, I mean, you're riding in the car and it's like, do I really have to go there? Yeah, you have to go there. It's a union meeting. You have to go there. But but again, the people now think all you got to do is raise some money and be on TV or be on the radio. And right. That's it. That's a campaign today. Yeah, GOTV means get on and television. And the people, the best campaigns, and I'll point to the Daniels campaign on this one, um, the best campaigns, and I'll point to the Obama campaign on this one. Obama was the really the first to use social media and inspire young people to get out and do stuff. Yeah. And did it successfully. Mitch did that, too. Yeah. Mitch was our equivalent of that as far as the campaign's concerned. He brought people in the process of having, using the latest social media where, you know, when when I got off the show and they were asking me, well, who would you recommend? I said, one, you need to get a younger person to understand social media. Because for me, that wasn't me. I mean, that was I'm way past that. You know, I can barely turn on my iPhone. You know, one of those kinds of things. But but today's campaigns, you got to do that. And that's how another way that the campaigns have changed so dramatically uh, that and, and Mitch got that and still gets it. You see him as president of Purdue okay. and how he uses social media up okay. there at and, Purdue, Mitch. Isn't that right? I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, and to think about a major research institution like that is now going into its eighth year without a tuition increase. You could have two classes go through Purdue and never have a tuition increase. Hey, as and somebody who has a son you, at Purdue, I think it's a wonderful well, thing. Well, let me tell you, as a member of the Board of Trustees at Ball State, you know, I can tell you, he's put a lot of pressure on a lot of folks <laughs> because he's been able to do what he's done because it's just unheard of. People have no idea. But that was, you know, again, I think it's that communication that he has. And the good politicians inspire that, and as you said, there are some that aren't, but as uh, I'll never forget, I'll tell one quick story. I ran the intern program in the state senate back in the mid seventies. I had a rule: you weren't allowed to talk to the media if you're an intern. Good rule, right? Right. So I'm driving into work one day, and I hear Fred Heckman on WIBC say, "When we come back from break, we're going to talk to a Senate intern about his impressions of the men and women serving in the Indiana State Senate." And I. About wrecked my car on Capitol, driving towards the State House. And when he came back, he said, and I won't say the young man's name, Mike Riley from South Bend, Indiana. <laughs> said, uh, Mr. Riley, you've been there a month now. What are your impressions of the men and women serving in the Indiana General Assembly? And he said, I'll never forget this as long as I live. On the whole, they're not very smart, but they do represent the entire population of the state of Indiana. <laughs> So with one sentence, this kid wiped out the entire population of Indiana. What he was trying to say was, look, they're just people like us. They're all different. They're not, not special. They're just people living their lives. They're citizen legislature. If he, That was what he was trying to do, but it didn't come out that way. And I was never so pleased when I got to the office, President Pro Tem Phil Gutman, who is my boss. Uh, I was in the office all of two minutes, and the phone rang, and he says, McDaniel. This Riley kid, one of ours or one of theirs? I was never, <laughs> never so glad to say it was one of theirs in my life. <laughs> but his point is, and it goes back to what Robin said. You know, some of these people don't inspire, kind of go out there and do it. They're just regular folks, and some of them don't know how to do that. And the ones that really do, 
And the ones that motivate and the ones that lead, they're the ones that rise to the top. And they do rise to the top. Robert, you run a, a public relations agency and do government relations work and all those things. One fundamental rule when you're doing client pitches is you should know your client. So we're interviewing people to be Franco Bannon's consultants, right? And the dude walks in and says, well, the problem with Southern Indiana is a bunch of hilljacks down there. And I'm like... <laughs> Like most of them, like, and you know, a lot of them down there are illiterate, not educated, and are not going anywhere. And, and Frank, you've got to bring them around and move them up. And I was like, toast. And I was and, doing, and doing he's tap while he was talking. And he's sitting there. And he's from, from there. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you just, you just got to watch out those things. Let me ask one quick question with right. the, just a few minutes we have left or a minute or so to Jim Shella. Again, as a neutral observer. How do we fix, or do you have an RX to fix some of the problems we discussed here today? Well, I'm not sure we got into problems an awful lot. We talked about some some uh, pretty good things, but uh, about people not talking as much, as not hanging out as much, a little more divisiveness, a little more prickliness. I remember when I was comms director for Ballard, Ed Tracy would do a news conference blasting Ballard. He would call me and say, I'm going to do a news conference in front of the city market in 30 minutes. Come out there and join me. Let's have some fun. Yeah. And the only reason I didn't go out there and have fun with him is because Okuson said I couldn't. Paul Okuson, the chief of staff. But he's yeah. like, come on out here. Let's have some fun. And what we've heard a little bit today, along with some great stories, is that things have changed. Is there a way to get well, them better? I think what we've talked about here is uh, – the good people in politics and and how you need good people in politics and and i think that the current circumstance um leads good people to stay out of politics and and what we need is more good people to get involved in in elected office uh as well as in the parties and 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 in activism and and i think um politics has become a dirty word I have people all the time say, how could you stand to cover politics? And what I tell them is there's politics everywhere. There's politics at church, school, at home. Just because there's not a vote doesn't mean there isn't politics. And and the good thing about politics is that everybody knows what it is. You're free to question everybody's motives. Uh, But but you got to get involved. It affects all of us. Every day. And, and we got to find a way. I don't know what it is, but we've got to find a way to get more good people involved. I also think that the uh, way to reinvigorate the parties and to get the parties more involved, which I think would be a good thing, is to eliminate primaries altogether and go back to conventions for statewide elected officials like United States senator, governor, so forth and so on. Then that person that's going to work in a county is all of a sudden relevant because they're the votes that make the difference. And you would re-energize the two political parties overnight if you did that. Plus, think how much money you would save if the candidates in the primary don't have to go out and spend three, four million dollars each to beat it out of each other. Mm-hmm. You'd save that money going forward, and so you don't have to raise as much money, which is also a major problem. Be bad I just for, think be bad are, for TV stations. I think there are plenty of benefits to going back to doing that and getting people more involved. And I'm starting to sound like, you know, one of the old guys sitting in the balcony on the Muppets. But uh, seriously, I think if we went back to that would reinvigorate the system. Robert. I wish there were more petitions for people to run for office. I mean, you know, when you meet with a party chair, I just had this one dude meet with us, and uh, he came up from southern Indiana, and he was going to self-fund his campaign to the tune of $2,000 running for Congress, right? <laughs> so, so, but he didn't tell me that amount of money until after, later in the thing. But he comes up, and he sits in our room, and we're all sitting there with pads because he's a doctor, and we're all excited, and we think millions of dollars. And I said, so what's your main issue? Well, sterilization of the poor people in this state. And I was like, what did you just say? So I turned to Tim Henderson, who was working. I said, Tim's got it from here. Thanks a lot for coming. He was done away. Let him take it the rest did of the way. Did you ever have candidates for president come visit you on local candidates for president? Oh, yes. Remember, yeah. there, was, there was a young woman who was running. She was at Ball State. Yeah. Her, her mother drove around with magnets on her car and was very mad that I wouldn't let her speak at our state convention because yeah. she was going to be the nominee. I had so, a, so, my I'm sorry, against President Clinton. 
So, you know. My that, sister that, one day said, Mike, there's a gentleman here to see. He wants to run for office. I said, well, sure, have him come in. So I came in. He's from Henry County. And he said, well, I wanted to come in and start with you because I am going to run for president of the United States. I said, oh, really? I said, uh, do you know what that entails? He said, what do you mean? I said, he said, I just told you, and I'll, you know, call over to the clerk's office and get my name on the ballot. And I said, well, <laughs> first of all, you have to have 500 certified signatures from each congressional district in Indiana, and they have to be certified before you can get on the ballot. And then— Take that and multiply it times 50 because no two states are the same. you got to meet all their criteria in all 50 states. And this guy was looking at me like, what? <laughs> but, but clearly you get people who really don't understand the system that come in and either want to be governor or United States senator or whatever who don't have any idea. And bless their hearts, they care enough that they want to get involved. But – there's some basic understanding. I used to get that all the time. I don't know if you did. But oh, I, I did. did. I did. Robert, I mean, I know you're, we're running out of time, but I'll just tell you this. It's great to, doing this story. Part of what you're asked is being done by this, having people talk. So those of you listening, we can work together. It doesn't have to be this hard wall built up between our parties. But I look, I was a little kid listening to the transistor of the transistor radio of, this, of the conventions when these states would get out and do the Democratic convention. And... Um, it was a lifelong dream to be able to do that. So I got to do the roll call for Indiana. Oh, that's right. Right? So I'm up there like, Indiana, 88. You know, and this is your time, right? So so I'm doing it. But I looked at the video the other day and check this out. I'm like, Indiana is proud to class. And I look and there's these people behind me that are leaning into the camera shot to get themselves on national TV <laughs> and pushing people aside. So they could be on TV. I was like, are you kidding me? That's what they were doing behind me. So, you know. <laughs> everybody wants to be part of the wants to, Everybody well, wants to be like, part of the Like action. Rob and I grew up watching those and just loved them. And my favorite thing was the roll call. Yeah. And I always dreamed of doing that. And I got to do it three times. Wow. And, uh, and you know. Were you, were you ever an elector? President yes. Elector? Yeah. I was on the famous Bush Gore. You did cast the deciding vote? And I, I made sure I did it in my printing which i print everything but i did it in letters about this big for george bush because i didn't want anybody to misunderstand who I was <laughs> but i was an elector i was glad to have that honor but back to the other i got the chance in philadelphia to uh, uh give the roll call you know the great state of indiana the home of senator richard luger you know you do all that stuff so right before it came time to give the roll call, the bat phone rang course, from headquarters yeah. up above, which never rang. We tried to order a pizza with ours out in San Diego. <laughs> and the thing rings, and I pick it up, it says, Mr. McDaniel? I said, yes. And he said, when it gets to you, we want Indiana to pass because we want Texas to put George Bush over the top. And so we'll pass, uh-huh. but we'll come back to you. He said, now you can get up and say, and then, but you can say something, but then pass. I said, okay. So. <laughs> So when it came my turn, I got up and did the whole thing. The great state of Indiana, the home of Richard Luger, you know, I was, you know, went on and on and on for about two minutes. I go, we passed. <laughs> <laughs> I was resoundingly booed from the floor of the convention. <laughs> but I got to do it a second time when it came back around. I was at the Republican convention in 2012, and I should say that my Uger partner and I, David Brooks, beat the pants off of Mike McDaniel and Rex Early several games in a row. And I in would a hurricane. Al- in a hurricane. <laughs> and I could also need to thank, because this is absolutely true, I had the great honor in 2018 of directing the IPS referenda that, that passed to help that school district. And I would not have had that opportunity if it wasn't for Robin Winston recommending me. Thank you very much, Robin. And when it comes to the best of the best of what he does, there's nobody ranks higher than Jim Shella. Thank you, Jim. We all love you. Thank you. Hope you're doing well. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. And we want to thank our sponsors, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, the Crown Plaza Hotel and Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's Robert at VeteranStrategies.com.